in this week's episode of From the Top. I am shooketh. <laughs> and the Lord raineth down the shookethness upon Stephen. Yes! Fire brimstone! <sighs> when you have the creators of South Park go, let's make a musical. That sounds like a good time. I'm actually probably cementing my blast from my ticket to hell by spreading all of this so unabashedly. So enjoy my trip to hell in a handbasket. So, uh, I'll be there with I, you. It'll be fine. It just so happens that they secretly think that they know something that you don't. And if given the chance, they will desperately try to save your soul. We've got magic to do just for you. I've got a, I've got a joke for you, babe. <laughs> Ooh, it's, okay. It's, oh God, just just of the subject matter that we're about to cover, and since you have experience with it, I feel oh, like good. you'll you think it's funny. You got a Momo joke, okay. I did, got I got a little Mo joke, here we go. So, an LDS weasel goes into a restaurant for dinner, and the waiter says, I've never served someone from your church before. Would you like to start with a beer? I don't drink alcohol, comes the reply. The waiter responds, what can I get for you then? Pop, goes the weasel. That is the most wholesome <laughs> joke ever. And something <laughs> our main character of this show might tell. You know, God yeah, I feel like that is absolutely an Elder Price joke. I don't think Elder Cunningham would do it. He would just make stuff up and he would like, he would he sure make would. something ridiculous. But I mean, of the jokes that I that I read on that particular <laughs> website, that was the only one that was appropriate for this show because everything else was very unlike every joke in this show. Unlike, okay, but when you <laughs> when you have the creators of South Park go, let's make a musical. That sounds like a good time. You're not gonna yeah, get. Right. You're only gonna get off color jokes. It's literally the. I mean, that is what they are known for. Trey Parker and Matt Stone, literally the only two humans in the world that maybe second to like. I think Family Guy falls underneath those guys. South Park sets the standard Honestly. when it comes to dirty jokes and yeah, like. Yeah. But like, it's also satire and like good yeah. morals at the end of it all, which is essentially what the show does too. But exactly, <laughs> exactly. And like again, all of those jokes, they were all like, you know, about the uh, poly or polygamy and like you know all of that. And so I'm like, all right, I don't right. practice well, this, so like I'm not. See, and I'm here to like clear up a lot of those things for a lot of people. You're gonna so be my more. Mormon Sherpa? I am. Uh, yep. Hashtag Mormon Sherpa. Let's take it all the way to heaven, but we got to start somewhere. <laughs> from, from the top. top. From the top. A five, six, seven. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of From the Top, your favorite musical theater cast and review. My name is Mary. Hello. My name is Elder Stephen. And I would like to share with you the most amazing book. <laughs> God, the year that they did that at the Tonys is the opening. I think it was Neil Patrick Harris who was um, hosting. Oh, God. Them, yeah. Perhaps I should actually name the, the On the Marquee this evening. Here's the show that we're talking about. Tonight, we are going to begin our coverage of a raunchy musical written by the creators of South Park, The Book of Mormon. I'd like to share with you this book of Jesus Christ. Hello.
not to be confused, we're not actually doing a reading of. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> the, Even the though, although <laughs> my co-host did in fact pull out his Book of Mormon. Oh man! In preparation First time for in tonight's seventeen years, <laughs> I dug it out of storage, and it was. It invoked some emotions. You're let's just such say that. a good human being. I love the fact that that you whipped this out for me um, for this particular show as a closeted le- or not closeted. That sounds bad. As as a <laughs> as a former you know person of religion, my my religion of choice was Catholicism. So this will be um, it'll be interesting in our season about death. I've had a lot of people ask me how does Book of Mormon even fit into this, and yeah. I think you put it pretty succinctly that. It's it's like we're taking a diversion kind of from the bloody gory like death in and of itself as an action but we are going to the ethereal kind of like the jellical play or the jellical place the uh, heavy side layer we're going yeah. to the things that happen once you die the religion of it all the the big what if after we shuffle off this mortal coil and what after you believe in and Buffalo, yeah. after we <laughs> shuffle right the f- to Buffalo. (laughs) Which happens to be uh, close adjacent to upstate New York. (laughs) (laughs) Which is where Joseph Smith first pulled out the golden tablets. They make fun of this in in, in multiple episodes of South Park. They make fun of this. It's it's almost like this was part of like the history of this too. They they had so much fodder uh, having grown up in Colorado around uh, a sect of Mm -hmm. this religion very, very heavily. So they they knew a lot about it and they always had wanted to sort of slight it, make fun of it. Mm -hmm. Growing up Mormon, uh, I was the butt of many a joke and then oh honey (laughs) i'd still like a thing if someone will bring up a mormon joke and sometimes i'll let it slide and sometimes i'll try to correct it and be like actually that's not real um (laughs) um actually you um actually people i I oh i adore it um actually That's I think that's important because like when you're in it, I think it's important to correct people if you if you do if it's grossly like over like exaggerated, understated, overstated, whatever it is. Like if you're part of it, there's a way to correct people that is still nice. But then there's the way that's pretentious. I'm all about you correcting me in a in a nice way that I'll go. okay, thank you. I'll take that under advisement. But oh, then yeah. there's like the the obnoxious and way, and I'm not here for it. We'll get I into know. my my expose of what goes on behind the walls of a LDS church, but a Mormon uh, expose. <laughs> Yeah. So what do you think about this show, Mary? I will say I'm a little biased because I really do enjoy South Park as a show. So like knowing that those creators were behind this, I kind of came into it already wanting to like it because I appreciate that type of humor. There were multiple things that I went, "Mm, come on, guys, Uh, way too off color Too, the needle kind of shifted a little too far into the racist category. But I think overall, like there were some really excellent moments of this show, especially between Elder Price and Elder Cunningham. Um, you know, we've got a lot of good character growth, the hubris of man, Icarusing yourself and, you know, building yourself up to be more than what you end up being and being humble oh, in yeah. the end. And there's a lot well, of good lessons. I, yeah. And I can't wait to get into like sort of where Elder Price's psyche is because mm-hmm. I lived his life just up until the point of I did not go on my mission. Wow. And that's sort of when I severed ties because I said, this ain't it. This ain't for me. Thank you. (laughs) But I understand what his mindset is and why he feels so like empowered and where his head's at. So it's going to be really interesting to get into the show. Two by two, two by two, victory. Armed with the greatest book in history. 
yes, Mary, I do want, of course, the quintessential three sentences or less. What is the synopsis of the book of Mormon? <laughs> um, so a, a, a bright-eyed missionary and his bumbly friend go <laughs> on... A, uh, they are sent on a mission to Uganda to preach the holy word. Although our bright-eyed missionary, Elder Price, did not want this mission, he wanted to go to Orlando through some a journey kind of of a dark night of the soul, a little self-discovery, and some helpful lessons from bumbly elder cunningham doing what is necessary even if you have to make it up a little bit as you go he finds out that the the idea of religion is more important than how you tell it to people you need to be relatable in a way that people will understand even if it's not entirely true all the time i think that's correct (laughs) (laughs) who knows sort of i made it up You're making things up again, Mary. I do, I uh, stick to the approved I, dialogue. <laughs> I the show goes everywhere. And yeah. It's in every nook and cranny yeah. of like we've said, it's irreverent in the best and worst ways. Oh, totally. And we're gonna talk about some of like the off-color things and things that have even changed since we've sort of had a um a societal what's the word? Uh, see the only epiphany? word in the only word in my brain is uh like a renaissance but that's not right though like it but it's right it we finally gave people without a voice a place to have one and time to speak and that has changed sort of the structure and the the ways that shows are put together what is being presented and i think this show needed sort of a a cleansing a baptism a baptism if you will Way to be. Let's go, Steven. All right. Yeah. Getting into the plot. Yes. Like you like you said, Elder Price and Elder Cunningham are just out of their missionary ROTC. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and are hardcore on their training way to Africa. <laughs> yeah. You get like two weeks to like learn a new language and go somewhere. What? That's not enough By time to do okay, sure. Like, sure. it's, it's a very short amount of time. You get the smallest modicum of time Jesus. to prep. Okay. Yeah. Two weeks or two months. Now, see, now I'm already saying it's been so long, but it's very, very small. You do not get time to really, mm-hmm. you're, you're 18 and 19. Yeah. And you're about to be thrust into the world. Anyway, <laughs> they are now thrust and given uh an impossible task of going and trying to convert uh ugandans in africa in in the middle of nowhere that is war-torn and overseen by a warlord and try to convert them to essentially the latter-day saints way of life yep and through all of that you get to meet some fun and crazy characters you get a little bit of um not even a history lesson, but you get different. They're exposed to different culture mm-hmm. and how that and like you said, how do we get across the messages that we're intending uh, in order to save their souls for the rest of eternity? Mm-hmm. But lots of mishaps and miscommunications and Elder Cunningham goes off on his own and starts preaching 
lies. <laughs> but is it good when the lie is worth it? Is it not? And then Elder Price, who is looking for to do something incredible and prove he is the god mm-hmm. himself, uh, is not doing so hot. So he bails on all of his duties and we get to see the aftermath and what uh, what all that entails throughout the show. It's just insane. This show is a ride. Oh, 1000%. It is a, you know, it is a roller coaster for sure, because you've got beautiful moments of calm mixed with the absolute, you know, instances of, of pure chaos and. You know, it, it is, but it is really captivating for the two hours that you watch it. I didn't find myself trying to go and like do other things or like multitask while I was doing this. And that, you know, as we've talked about, that's kind of a hallmark for me of is it captivating enough to be able to hold my attention for two hours? Would I have done this in a real theater for two hours? Since I already kind of knew a little bit of the story and I knew a little bit of the music because, you know, of course, I've heard the snippets of Book of Mormon like on musical playlists and things. Oh, yeah. This has been a staple in my repertoire since this debuted. <laughs> oh, I would absolutely believe it. And, you know, so I was kind of familiar, but like it was watching this was really nice to be able to see it all from start to finish and really plug those kind of holes that you get you know when you just listen to the um the uh, cast recording now it's our time to go out and set the world's people free and we can do it together you and me but mostly me And me, but mostly me, are gonna change the world forever. Cause I can do most anything, and I can stand next to you and watch. Every hero needs a sidekick, every captain needs a mate. Well, how about a cast list? Let's see the characters we're working with. We've dropped a couple names Elder Price, Elder Cunningham, but there's another myriad of people we need to be introduced to. There is a myriad of people. The rights for this aren't available yet for regional theaters to do because this is still on Broadway. Normally I would use mtishows.com so I am going to the pinnacle of all things correct, you know, information. I've gone to Wikipedia. So... <laughs> this gives uh looks like seven title characters um i mean there are probably other people other of the elders that ha- do have names obviously in hello we get introduced to a lot of the elders um just through that song um but they are not named here so these appear to be like the seven what you could say is principal characters and then everyone else either blends into the ensemble or becomes like a secondary kind of character. So to start off our roster, we do begin with Elder Price, your main uh, kind of missionary that we follow. He's the one that all of the other missionaries look to as kind of like the shining example of what it is that they're about to do. And he is the one, as Stephen has mentioned, the one that wants to do something incredible. And he kind of wants to be remembered for all time as the person who did, you know, something incredible on behalf of the uh, LDS church. Followed along by Elder Cunningham, they get paired up together in the very beginning of the show because all the missionaries get a, you know, buddy of sorts. Companion. A companion. And uh, they're sent off on their mission to go, you know, spread the good word. So Elder Price, his companion is Elder Cunningham. Um, Elder Cunningham is your, you know, quintessential 
dork. I mean, I, there's no other way to put it. He's just a lovable dork, you know. He's a little dim-witted. A little bit, and has this nasty little habit of, you know, when he gets nervous, he starts just making things up just to fill the space, and we find out later that that is what comes back to bite him in the end. Next, we have uh, one of the, I believe it's the daughter of the tribe that they go to in Uganda. Um, uh, is it Nabulungi? The tribe leader, thank you. The main guy, yeah. Thank you. She is, I believe, one of the first people to be baptized and is baptized by Elder Cunningham. Her mother's passed away, and she has promised her all these things that her life will be better and she will find paradise one day, and she... (laughs) <laughs> strives to and longs for this place called Saltale Casiti. <laughs> that entire song, I will get into it. It's such a fun time. Oh boy. Following closely behind, we also have Elder McKinley. And if correct me if I'm wrong, Elder McKinley is kind of the one that is already um, established kind of the mission in Uganda and Elder Price and Elder Cunningham join Elder McKinley in Uganda. Right. Okay. Yeah, so just with the way the sort of inside structure of this. So when you go on your mission to places, they you are housed and these are just bases where all the elders will stay together. So okay. it's factually correct what they're doing. Um, but like in larger cities, like you could have four to six to sometimes eight elders living together in the same house. Wow. But they all go to their own separate churches. So they're probably all in different areas of Uganda uh-huh. trying to convert people. Wonderful. Following behind Elder McKinley, we have Mafala Hatimbi. Is the tribe... No, you're going to have to tell me who this is because now I forgot. Yes, Mafala is going to be the tribe leader. The tribe leader. See, I I just have to have confidence that I know what I'm talking about sometimes. Following behind the tribal leader, we do have Joseph Smith, who, as we know, it was, you know, handed these or told by God that these tablets were... Um, you know, uh, in fact, uh, buried in the backyard in upstate New York under a tree. And he is believed to be the founder of M- Mormonism. No. Yes. Is that true? Uh, yes. I hey, mean, like, he's, see? He's, 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 he's the catalyst for what, what it all is. But yes, yes. Well, once we dive into this history, we'll... We'll talk about Joseph. Oh my God, yay. <laughs> Give Smith. me. Get Mr. Smith. Give me history. And then finally, the last person that I will put on this call sheet is the general. And he is, because Stephen had mentioned that this is a worn, torn part of the land that they end up finding themselves in. It's just p- part of Africa at this point. It's just the Wild West, mm-hmm. you know, to to have a metaphor. It, it there are no laws or rules and Mm -hmm. there's no way to enforce them so people are grabbing power wherever it is so this warlord is just taking power and taking whatever he wants Mm -hmm. with force those are the main folks of your call sheet i am going to point out how funny this is to me that i didn't realize this was a thing i didn't know that ben platt played elder cunningham in the second north american tour Mm -hmm. um what? Okay, that's yeah. kind of adorable. Ugh. And he played him completely different. Oh, really? And it w- it was received well, and it wasn't received well. Like, people loved oh, it or hated it. Sure. Like, Fair he enough. played it his own nerdy way. Yeah. Um, and honestly, I think it's always bugged me how Josh Gad has played this character a little bit. Really? I don't like it. Which is weird because he has been he was there since this show's inception. Mm-hmm. Like he was always Elder Cunningham. But I've never liked how he plays this elder. 
to be frank about it. I don't like Interesting. it. Interesting. So I have a feeling I would have enjoyed watching Ben Platt's version. No, I would have liked it because it's just Ben Platt. If you don't like what we say, try living here a couple days. Watch all your friends and family die. Asadiga Ibo Wai. Asadiga Ibo Wai. Fuck you got in the ass mouth and cunt Fuck you got in the ass mouth and cunt Fuck you got in the ass mouth and cunt it's time to uh, get a little history going. So let's take this from the beginning. I do want to point out, in honor of Elder Price, I am drinking iced coffee. Oh, yes, you are. <laughs> so good. Essentially, I am doing a coffee-based cocktail so oh, yeah it's iced sure. coffee so i brewed my coffee and then i double brewed it so it's a bolder flavor oh, to when the shit. ice melts so you still get all the peak coffee flavor but i added a shot of whiskey um but my secret was when i did my brewing of the coffee i added a teaspoon of cinnamon so it's <gasps> actually a sort of cinnamony note spiced coffee with a shot of your favorite whiskey of any kind even fireball would be good in this um and then i did add a splash of cherry bitters um i love that i will absolutely i'm gonna fight you don't you dare put fireball into a no i'm not a fireball girly no one that's your 20s leave that alone with the hint of sweetness it would give and the cinnamon already added i don't think it would be a flaw i would absolutely do like an irish whiskey and then like a little bit of cream and Mm -hmm. like a little bit of like a sugar-free syrup so like i would do like sugar-free caramel or like something like that but yes but steven that sounds delicious of course my ex-barista is gonna be making his double brewed coffee cocktail a few of my favorite things (laughs) coffee and (laughs) booze it's great um which is really funny as an (laughs) (laughs) ex-mormon you're literally drinking the two things they're not allowed well it's perfect fuel to kind of give us the history of where we begin with this show first off i'm going to give you the actual history of this physical broadway musical and then we'll go into a little bit of mormon 101 how about that a little a little minor education on the mormon faith i love it i'm all about it let's go i'm ready sounds good okay so this show took about five years to develop altogether oh Um, it started in 2003 of course we've dropped it trey parker matt stone but there was also robert lopez who is part of this holy trinity if you will Uh, (laughs) they wanted to get their hands on broadway they had already been doing all these musical episodes of things on television and they are actually responsible for the blight or the brilliance that is known as cannibal the musical it is brilliance it is absolute brilliance and i'll fight anybody who says otherwise quite honestly (laughs) so we're gonna fight i'm so excited of course best known for south park and that's where a lot of this lds parody sort of comes in Mm -hmm. um So one night they just got inspired, started writing a little bit more of it down, took it more seriously and started building what we now know as the musical The Book of Mormon. Oh, sure. Yeah. So that that lasted for a few years. They vetted out and did all the stuff, you know, made it work. And then in 2006, um, a couple of them went to Avenue Q on Broadway. (gasps) Oh. And Jeff Marks, who is a writer on Avenue Q, noticed them and asked 
you know, hey, what are you guys working on? Uh, so he was interested. We started telling him, oh yeah, we're actually trying to do this parody with the Book of Mormon and Avenue Q as the other irreverent Broadway show that sort of <laughs> paved the way for changing what Broadway can be. The, he was like, oh, I want to get on board. So they brought him in and they wanted his sort of take as already having trudged through with Avenue Q. They sure. wanted that experience, so to say. Doing the hard work, they actually interviewed a lot of missionaries and ex-missionaries in Salt Lake City, flew out there, got a really good understanding of where these people's mindsets were, everything and anything just involving what it is to go on a mission. It's actually kind of sad. Eventually, Jeff Marks left as he felt he wasn't having a lot of the creative control he wanted. I'm assuming there was a lot of give and take and he having already had a successful musical, he wanted more of the creative, but I'm sure Matt and Trey were, this is our show, dude. So <laughs> he eventually just left M much like, much like Hart in Oklahoma. He was yes. like, peace out. Continued on, developed more. In 2008 was the first workshoppings of the show, but official first workshop started in 2010. And it was slated to actually open off-Broadway. But Matt and Trey Parker, they like to go big or go home, went for Broadway. A theater was available, so they said, F*** it. Let's try it. <laughs> they workshopped for about a year. Here's a fact I love. Producers of this show, the people investing the money, only got to see it six days before it opened for previews. <laughs> That's funny that you say that because there is a documentary that actually talks about the making of South Park and it's called mm -hmm. Six Days to Air. So I find that funny oh, yeah. if that was, I mean, but I'm now, yeah, I'm reaching for things, but I would love to think that that's true, that Matt and Trey were like, all right, we only have six days to do a thing. So we're going to, we're going to give, it's fine. We can make changes in six days if we need to. Fine. Exactly. 100. I thought like, that was we funny. like the pressure. Yeah. But I have to assume that they wanted to nuance it so well and make sure they had a good product because it, I can see this show being put in front of someone and then them going, what the hell Yeah. did you do with our money? Yeah. No. Mood. You know? Yes. So you, they had to make sure it was a solidified, obtrusive, but not so obtrusive product. Oh, God. <laughs> Officially opened in 2011. Actually only took $9 million of an $11 million budget. So they were under budget, which is unheard of. That's not a thing. Okay. Not a thing. Huh. I don't I don't get it. But yeah. Wow. I think it is important to mention that there have been changes made to the show. We brought this up earlier. In 2020, after everything happened, we learned things as a society. And a lot of people came forth in this show, the black actors playing these Ugandans. People in the cast or previous members of the cast did come forward and say, hey, we aren't liking how some of these characters are being portrayed. We aren't mm -hmm. liking some of the jokes that are being said. Is there any way we can just do a nice revision of this? Let's all work together to make this show because this show has a good heart. We want it to succeed. Yeah. We don't have a bad bone about it, but we realize now this maybe isn't what we should be putting forth into the world, yeah. especially at this moment. And they were open. They they understood, you know, they have been fighting South Park PC culture their entire lives. They were like, you know, this is the moment. This is a good moment to learn and to educate and to, put, you know, be a change, yeah. essentially. So they were they were very, very open to it. And so anything that is is and was super racist is now pretty nuanced down and has full approval from uh, the cast members themselves. Oh, so good. if you're feeling awkward about anything that is being done or said about any of the Ugandan sort of representation, just know that it's it, the people pr performing it are in fact in favor. That's actually very cool that not only was the, the cast and crew like felt strongly enough about it to be able to go to, you know, the 
production team and the directorial team and go, hey, this isn't right. And on the other side of that coin for the directorial team to go, yes, we understand that this is this is, you know, not cool. Like, let's go ahead and work together and do this. Like, especially for two guys that are so raunchy about their television show. Oh, yeah. Like, you'd think that they would have a little more pushback. But I I don't know. I think that's a hallmark of a good of a good artist. If you know when you've pushed it too far. So you rein it back in a little bit. For Stephen to uh, knock on your door and say hello, <laughs> welcome to Mormon 101. Yay! <laughs> oh, I want to right off the bat just state I'm not proselytizing. I'm not at all. I'm actually probably cementing my blast from my ticket to hell by spreading all of this so unabashedly. Eh. So enjoy my trip to hell in a handbasket. So uh, I'll be there with I, you. It'll be fine. I know, right? It's great. I wanted to start this out. Number one. What is your number one cliche view of a Mormon? Uh, that AKA LDS. Because I also want to point out that it, technically saying Mormon, it's almost like derogatory in a way. Oh. But we own it. We know what it is. Like we all go by it and we know what it is. Right. But it's like technically we're LDS. Like that's the nomenclature that one should subscribe to. Be like, oh yeah, you're LDS as opposed to. Oh, yeah, you Mormon. Sure. Also, <laughs> points for using the term nomenclature. Nice work. That was good. That was very good. Um, I mean, I would I would say that it's uh, the, I mean, the biggest one that I can recall right now is the idea of polygamy. Multiple wives, multiple, Ooh, um, you know, families, you know, and, and, that, and the jokes that go along with that. It's the number one thing that everyone, it's the easy thing to make fun of and yeah. think about. Yeah. So here's my understanding of it. And so let me clear this up. Polygamy is not part of... Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is the physical, actual church itself. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a point in time, way back when, when this church first arrived on the scene. To my knowledge, this is why. This is why this happened, and why polygamy even became sort of the cliche rumor mm-hmm. of, of the church. So, when we kept getting cast out and cast out of cities, <laughs> because oh, of God. the things... We, by the way, I'm totally going to be saying we a lot in this. I, it's just going to happen. I, but again, the slash we is not a me thing. It's just ingrained in me that yeah. I will always be a little bit Mormon. Yeah. But I'm, I want to also just say I am not to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> so just to clear the air, clear the air in that. Um, when we were always cast out uh, from cities and then sent to other places, these were long treks across vast spans of country okay so like the oregon trail right when you play that game you die of (laughs) dysentery and get rattlesnake bites broken legs and infection essentially we had an original oregon trail oh (laughs) my god sort of thing okay so a lot of husbands died okay (laughs) okay on this on these treks across vast expanses of nothing Yikes. So what happened? What had happened was what had happened was these women were now husbandless instead of 
being alone and unable to like build a log cabin by themselves and like go have to house and be housed. It was easier with the men around them because it's part of the belief that you must be married in order to, you know, keep keep going to the highest level of heaven or whatever, a.k.a. multiple wives were taken in this moment but only in this moment. Oh, I it was see. not like a practice being done. Do I think that it was absolutely taken advantage of by the men that were doing this? Yes. yes. I'm not but, even LDS and I can tell you that. Yes. However, it's not like part of the doctrine. It is not part of this thing that we we take into our everyday lives we know it to be a part of history but there was a reason behind that history now we think about like the tlc show uh um, <laughs> sister wives and sister and, wives uh, that is an off sect of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints it is not part of the physical lds church oh it is they went off and did their own thing because they wanted polygamy to be part of it so the church does not recognize them as part of the physical church and that needs to be stated bar none so i every every time there's a polygamy joke like i i laugh because it's absolutely hilarious yeah but (laughs) but it's also it's ridiculous but no i know it to be part of the history but i know why it was done sure and so so now, now, now you all can know that. But the thing I always think that's fun to note about like an LDS person is that they, they mean you no harm like ever. <laughs> right? Uh... Like they're either pompously above you and treat you that way and keep to themselves or they are the kindest, most genuine people that truly just wish you the best. Yeah. It just so happens that they secretly think that they know something that you don't and if given the chance, they will desperately try to save your soul. when you if you think back to like high school or like in your current life and the people that you think you that you know as an lds person Uh like there's they're not bad like you kind of look at them and laugh like oh that's funny you believe in all these weird funny things and that's as far as it goes because you can't really dog anything else about them they have a good family life they have a good like structure generally and it's 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 built this way in this cookie cutter fashion to be like something to aspire to be and something you want to be, which is essentially where we start getting this idea of Elder Price growing up in this beaver cleaver idea that he can do anything. And because he has done everything correctly in his life, he feels that way, that he's entitled to these things and to do something incredible because he has done everything right. Sure. And that's where this all sort of starts. You all know the Bible is made of testaments old and new. You've been told it's just those two parts or only one if you're a Jew. But what if I were to tell you there's a fresh third part out there? which was found by a hip new prophet who had a little Donny Osmond flair. Have you heard of the all-American prophet? The blonde-haired, blue-eyed boy... So, Joseph Smith, at the ripe old age of 14. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. Okay. Buckle up, kids. Let's go. go. Here we go. Here we go. I have a secret theory that he actually just had an alien encounter. And this all is like because of aliens. This church, I believe, is like aliens. (laughs) 
I mean, many a person has actually said that. So, you know, yeah, much I, like Scientology, it's, it's the aliens. Yeah. I, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how we're, how this all pans out yeah. at the end. But. Yeah. So, in early 1820s, uh, Joseph Smith was having an identity crisis. Of He was a, trying to go to churches and try to figure out what he believed. And he did not find what he was looking for in any of them. He tried them all. He tried the Catholicism, the Methodists, the Lutherans, the Protestants, the Baptists. And he... he tried and tried and tried and wasn't finding anything and wasn't at peace with any of them. Sure. So w- one day he <laughs> goes out into the woods in upstate New York and it is what we know we know in the church as the Sacred Grove. Oh my, it's such a fancy name. He is visited by God and his son Jesus. Now, this is uh the part where I need to clear up where some of the differences are with what LDS people believe versus the rest of any sort of Christian sect. Sure. One, I think it's stupid. Anyone who says that LDS people aren't Christian, it's literally in the name, the Church of Jesus Christ. (laughs) So (laughs) it's a little hard to fight that when it's part of your name. But two... God. One doesn't believe the Holy Trinity exists in the Mormon Church. It's not three in one. It is three separate things. Oh, sure. So, Joseph in the Sacred Grove is visited by God and his son, Jesus. Sure. And he, because Joseph had been praying and had been of good, honorable mind, of sound mind and whatever, he was told, none of them are true. But, you are so young, we are not going to impart all of this on you yet. You will be visited by an angel. Tomorrow you will be visited by three ghosts. Expect yes, the first right. one. Yes, we are full-on Christmas caroling here. <laughs> so, yeah, oh, either I, I mean, he may have had an alien encounter. He might have eaten some, like, forest shrooms and had some visions. I don't know. Who doesn't love a good vision shroom quest? Yeah, but... Isn't this story, like, epic? Like, isn't it kind of cool? It is kind of cool, but the only thing I'm hearing is when Matt and Trey made a joke about it on their show, and it's, Joseph Smith met God in a thing, dum, 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 dum. Like, that's all I'm hearing is just... The dum, dum song was hilarious. So, this angel that he was supposed to come visit is named Moroni. He was visited three times over and over to impart that, no, this isn't a dream. You're actually being visited. And he was imparted with more information, asked questions, did whatever. On the last visit, Moroni said, hey, just so you know, there are some plates. This happened years later. He's now like 19. He was given the information up on a hillside buried under some heavy rocks and a little bit farther you will find some golden plates. And this is the history of more stories about Jesus, more things that coincide with the Bible. Sure. That's, it's, it's important to note that like LDS people believe in the Bible. Like one reads the Bible a lot. Like mm-hmm. it's the Old and New Testament fully. There's just this third part of extra extra shit that we have to like know. <laughs> it's the deleted scenes of the Bible. Absolutely. And all of these stories are worthy of like red carpet cinema. Like they are it's amazing a, tales. It's a book of bonus content. <laughs> I, I mean, truly. Oh, so funny. it's kind of like the, the way that the Old Testament and New Testament all take place in 
you know, the Europe, Euro Asia, that sort of space over there. This takes place in all of the Americas and the ancient civilizations that lived there. So if what if one believes in the Bible, it's not so weird to think that there were histories and documents maybe taken for ancient civilizations in you know, the Americas sure. of the people that lived there sure. at one point in time. So let's talk about the people that lived there. <laughs> I'm all, I'm so, in. All right. So first book, the first chapter, it's tale, the section, like uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Yep. I know them all. <laughs> I think my nose just started bleeding. Oh my yeah, God. Right. What? So in the Book of Mormon, the first book is the Book of Nephi, and it is about a young man uh, who has a father, Lehi, and his brothers, Laman, Lemuel, Sam, and himself. So four brothers and Lehi, his father. (sighs) Nephi is a righteous young boy, and he is tasked with many things, and one of them is to eventually in his life build a boat and sail across the vast ocean everyone is making fun of him for this and says this isn't real this can't happen uh but this happens in what what is believed and this thus starts the american ancient civilizations so when you say mayans and aztecs mormons lds people know them as like Lamanites, Lemuelites, Nephites. Oh. Because like each brother sort of split and hated each other eventually. So it's like this epic family feud. (laughs) And they go and like build their own civilizations and then come to power and and so it all just sort of builds and goes with that. So I think that's interesting and I don't think a lot of people know that. Eventually, over time, we go through all the books in the Book of Mormon, ending with the final book of Moroni, who happens to be that angel that visited Joseph Smith. Oh, yeah. Okay. So Moroni is tasked with compiling all of these tales of the gold plates over time of all of these people, just like in the books of the Bible. It's kind of a compiled, you know, series of stories mm-hmm. and metaphors or what what have you. Right. If you believe it actually happened, it happened. If you don't, it didn't. So, Moroni is tasked with trekking all the way north to what will eventually become upstate New York to bury these plates. For one day, a young man to find them enter in Joseph Smith. I see. Here we are, Joseph Smith. Oh, good Lord. There's this whole thing then about did he actually find them because Joseph Smith never actually showed them to anyone. Oh, no. No. (laughs) It's it's made fun of in the musical where you go, he wouldn't show them to anyone, but like, that's kind of the whole point because it's you have to have faith and that's kind of what God was going for. (laughs) (laughs) So you either believe or you don't believe, right? Oh, yeah. Now, I I could get into the whole thing about he has these two rocks called the Urim and Thummim, and he uh, is, that's how he deciphers the markings on this. So he actually has, like, a cipher. He has, like, that thing that will allow him to transcribe these <laughs> these markings into physical words or understand what oh, they mean. Oh, boy. So, but, like, and they, like, they glowed, and they, they did all these funny things, and it, I'm just, like, 
this had to be alien. It had to be alien. If it happened, it had to be alien. You know? Uh, yes. Like, I, it's, it's, eventually, this is where I've landed. It's also funny because when you talk about, like, ancient American civilizations like Mayans and Aztecs, th they talk about, like, alien beings and, like, deities and things of that nature. Sure. And, and, like, these magical things and how they sailed across in these vessels um, were by lighted stones that glowed for no reason. Because, but but only because they glowed because the finger of God reached out and touched them. So they glowed and were able to give light oh, on their journey. I see. So it's like, was this a flashlight? Did they give them a flashlight? Yes. <laughs> yes, they did. We fast forward a little bit. We know the sort. Everyone sort of knows the story of Joseph Smith. Uh, transcribe them. Some people say it was done funny ways, putting his head into a hat. Some people say it was behind a curtain. If you're in the church, you sort of don't talk about that. <laughs> we just you don't just, think about it too you hard. Just turn it off. <laughs> like, like a, a light, light switch. switch. Just, just go, go click. <laughs> we just know they were transcribed. The mystery of this epic tale, did it happen, did it not? Like, this is Sweeney level. Phantom level mystery. Joseph Smith, did he have these plates? Mm -hmm. Was this all made up? Was this just the vast imagination of a 14-year-old boy and he had years and years and years to think this all through? Sure. Eventually, after being cast out of city to city because of things that they did, um, eventually he does. He gets killed by a mob. And this is very much brought up a lot in, in LDS teachings. Like, we don't... This is also a thing. We don't worship Joseph Smith. It's not like we... He's just revered. He's he's like um, Gandhi. You don't mm -hmm. worship Gandhi. You, you follow Gandhi's teachings. Yeah. That's 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 all it is. So that's another myth debunked. There's not like shrines to Joseph Smith. Sure. You, he's essentially a martyr. Like he was tarred and feathered, shot, killed, like all all this stuff. Like the worst of the worst happened to this man. And it's very much taught. So we feel as as LDS people a little bit more like, oh, we have to continue on then. Sure. He, he, sac he sacrificed. So we must press on. Crack on. Yeah. So Brigham, Brigham Young then takes these people and treks across to Salt Lake City, which is in Utah. We now know he walked upon and said, yay, this looks like paradise. And here we are. So <laughs> that's that's the small little history of, uh, of what Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, and brings in all these important little parts that maybe need to be need to be talked about. I love that. Well, thank you, Professor. That was wonderful. That was a wonderful lesson. Now I know that place is real. Now I know it's name. Salt Lake a City. Not just a story mama told. But a village in Utah. Where the roofs are thatched with gold. If I could let myself believe. I know just where I'd be Right on the next bus to paradise Satellite City Quickly, just a little bit about missionaries. So at 18 and 19, yes, LDS boys are supposed to go out and live in the service of the Lord for two years and spread the word of God. Uh, this is just known. It's expected. You are expected to go on a mission if you were a boy. If you were a man... <laughs> 
you are going on your mission. Uh. And that's all just sort of part of the expectation. And we see that in Elder Price and these other missionaries. We see this sort of expectation and how you grow up. You are representing the church at all times, no matter what. Like when you're out, you're known as that LDS kid. Sure. And everyone knows, oh yeah, that's that Mormon little like I felt it. I felt it everywhere I went growing up in high school and, and whatever. Like you, you just you're known as yeah. that. So every move you make is just chastised to some degree and made yeah. fun of. And it after a while, you just sort of grow numb to it. And that, again, ties into this. Turn it off. You just can't. You have to let it just roll off your back. Yeah. And then I thought it would just be interesting to just quick rattle off the misconceptions. Like, we're not a cult. I know it, everything surrounding it sounds culty and weird. And like people, you're get compared to Scientology and, and uh, uh, what's the other one? Je Jehovah's Witnesses mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. Sure. But it's really not. It's just so much of your life is the church. It's just the structure of it where uh, Sunday, like you're in three hours of Sunday school and mm -hmm. class and like sac like the the ceremony of most people know it as communion we call it sacrament same thing eating of the bread and bread and blood like you know flesh and blood is the bread and wine exactly <laughs> exactly um so it, like all these things are the same like and it's not weird and cultish it's just so much of being a part of the lds church is spending your time doing church things so it often gets misconstrued as cult but if you want to get into it religion's kind of a cult <laughs> i mean i'm the first to admit that that i believe that like absolutely like you know yeah. we could get into the particulars of why people feel that way but you know we're, we're oh my god well so much of everything within the mormon church is like ceremony and like you do things to us to a certain way like uh the underwear that people wear and you have to wear it like that's actually a thing once you gain a level of age within the church you are expected to wear this mm -hmm. these under, these undergarments and it uh it's just interesting i hated it i hated the idea my parents still wear them and i'm just like y'all must be like itchy and hot i don't i don't get it ha -ha, do not subscribe yeah uh let's just see uh kolob kolob is allegedly the planet that god lives on again just throwing theories at me that this was all an alien aliens <laughs> yeah but if we talk about it heaven in uh lds thing actually has three levels the telestial terrestrial and celestial levels so like Telestial is when you are a good person, but you did not know the ways of God. That's where you're going to land. If you're in the terrestrial, you will have been a good person of faith and gone to church, and but you just didn't quite gain all the knowledge you did, nor did you convert to Latter-day Saintism. <laughs> then celestial level is where uh, every, you got baptized, you accepted God and all of his teachings and da da da. So that is that is sort of that level. And how do we know this? It's all part of the Joseph Smith talking to Jesus orb of <laughs> life. Yeah. So the celestial layer, layer is just basically like the VIP experience at a club. That's why Mormons are trying so damn hard. We want everyone to reach celestial level. <laughs> I mean, I, if there was VIP access and I, I mean, if I was it had access to that, yeah, I would do a lot of things for VIP access. So take that for what you want. Caffe caffeine and alcohol. We, we did it. Yeah, it's absolutely a thing. You're not supposed to drink it. Uh, we they did recently come out with a thing saying caffeinated soda is totally fine. It's the it, in 
the doctrine, it's called hot drinks. So coffee's off limits, like black tea, not supposed to be a thing, but you can do herbal teas. Um, and the conspiracy that we own Coca-Cola is absolutely false. It's not real. I was just <laughs> about to say, is that is that because the LDS church owns Coca-Cola? Okay. Well, wouldn't that just be the most hilarious of like dichotomies yes you're like oh you can't right but it's not true it's absolutely not true dang it um, i hoped it was is there anything else that you're like oh i've always had this question not really i mean what's interesting is um actually in high school i went to you know a catholic high school we actually had two uh kids in my high school that were that belonged to the lds church so there were a lot of um conversations that we got to have especially when we were in classes that dealt with religion we got to have kind of a two-sided conversation between lds and like catholicism it was a really cool kind of thing to be able to hear you know kind of a different perspective and um i mean that was you know really the the polygamy and the um you know was kind of like my biggest thing their biggest thing like the biggest you know Miss misnomer that I guess I remember hearing. Sure. So I love that you clarified that. And like, I mean, I learned a lot of things that I didn't know before. So th- I mean, thank you for the lesson. That was wonderful. I, I, have, I haven't even thought about a lot of this in nearly two decades. So it's uh, <laughs> it's it's a little crazy to like go back down this rabbit hole in a sense. But no with the Book of Mormon. When was the first time you heard about this or? If this hit Broadway in 2011, that would have been, I think the year that I went back to college. So I took a year off between my sophomore and my junior year of college. So, I mean, it would have been, you know, right around the time I met the Phantom of the Pod and he and I started dating. Um, So, you know, at that time, like I probably, if I remember correctly, like he would have shown this to me or shown me some songs from it because he's a huge South Park fan. So like he would have been like, oh my God, my girlfriend likes musicals. Hey, look, my favorite guys have written a thing. Like maybe she'll like it. And at the time, like, I wasn't really a South Park fan yet, you know, but um, he, you know, the Phantom of the Pod definitely got me into it. And so now it's like one of my favorite comfort shows, which sounds like a psychopath, sounds like something a psychopath would say. Like I mentioned earlier, there are a lot of songs um, from the show that then show up on like the musical theater pod or musical theater playlist that I listen to. One playlist I have is like, you know, uh, best of Broadway opening numbers. And of course, Hello is like right up in there. One of the best it's a it's a good way to open it because it does it does it in a way that people are familiar with like somebody coming up to your door and going ding dong hello my name is but and you've got you know you have the look and everybody knows what the look is between all of the you know different circumstances that are happening is just such a good it's such a good way to introduce the show i love that you just brought up they have the look I'm actually going to come visit you here shortly in, in like a month or so. Oh, my God. I have this fun game that I have yet to be stumped on. Give me your high school yearbook. I will point out every Mormon and I will be accurate. <laughs> Are you sure? Because remember, my high school, we had uniforms. I will find so... the two. 
You will? I will find the two. All right. I know the look. I guarantee you. I love it. I will do it. And we're going to do a follow-up on this, on whatever show notes we're doing. I love it. At that point of time, we will do the post on socials. God, if I can find my yearbook. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. We are going, I guarantee you, I'm going to do it. I love it. But, um, but yeah, so very minimal experience. Love the music um, and uh, would love to see it live. Because I remember when this came out, I was actually no longer like going to church. I was was in my college experience, just out of my college experience. And they had uh, come out with this. And what's funny is I knew the names because growing up, I wasn't allowed to watch South Park. (laughs) Yeah, there were two shows that were not allowed in the house, The Simpsons and South Park. Oh, the Phantom of the Pod just got very sad. (laughs) Yeah, right? But uh, I was not allowed to watch those. My sister and I would always sneak around, and late at night, we would together watch South Park in our living room, (laughs) volume low. Ah! Get after it. Let's go. And then eventually when this musical came out, I was like, oh, the people of South Park. And then so I introduced this to my sister, too. So it was a really fun, interesting funny thing. Yeah, it's cute. So that's essentially my experience with the show is just understanding it and then having all this backstory and then weird feelings about it. Once I learned all of immediately started listening to the album and like the songs there. I love it. Hilarious. And like I took everything tug in cheek back then and it was but now i'm fully just immersed in like no this is not part of my life it's no longer there but it was still pretty fresh back then so sure. i was trying to not be offended and i was trying to not you know but i, I couldn't help but laugh and it was I just too it. funny that's amazing well let's get into some of the logistics then of the show now that you have your mormon 101 history and Ooh. maybe a little bit better understanding of some of these characters i like, like it i i because I, again i can just say i just know where elder price comes from on so much of this <laughs> down to you and me but mostly me <laughs> i didn't do it but i should have the second i heard that song i almost texted you and went hey look it's us <laughs> i am literally your elder cunningham i am your elder i am your elder cunningham oh my god because I don't stick to the approved dialogue. Sure you don't. You and me, but mostly me, are gonna change the world forever. I can do most anything. Yep, it is It is us. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome. Every hero needs a sidekick. Me! Every captain needs a mate. That's me! <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, Mood. God. For your enjoyment and everyone I else can't. listening. Yep. You do so much more than Elder Cunningham. Let's just... Let's just point that out. I mean, but I'm really in the infomercial, the one that's going, oh, my God, this new thing? You should take a look at it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. It's true. Um, th- I mean, I'll take it, because. Yeah. B- but I think it speaks more to me is just that I'm a control freak, and I need to, like, have things a certain way, and I, live a- I have to live up to a certain standard, and as through therapy has taught me through the years... It's absolutely stemmed from my growing up Mormon that I expect the best and I only, that's the only way I can survive. (laughs) I'm, I'm here for it. I'm about it. That's great. It's great. But let's then let's, let's take this into Elder Price and his convictions and his wanting to change the world by doing something incredible. And he has this major self-worth and 
self-righteousness inside of him, but he's also blind to anything else, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just... You know, I, I feel like it's the it's the hero complex where like everybody's looking to him because he is the shining example of what a you know an LDS missionary should be, and everyone's like, oh my, like you're we're so glad that you're doing this, and I want to be partnered with Elder Price, and then of course, of course, he would be partnered with the bumbling buffoon that is Elder Cunningham because you have to have those two people together. Like there's no other way that those two people are not together. Like it's literally. <laughs> Like I mean, it's it's Nick Frost and Simon Pegg. It is it is just that's it's who it is. Gold. Yes, it's comedy gold. It absolutely is. And you know, I, I I mean, of course, Elder Price. You know, I feel like deep down had good intentions for what he wanted, but the fact that his you know his major be all end all was Orlando. Like that's all he wanted to go to was Orlando. <laughs> It, it's, it speaks volumes to me that he wanted to go somewhere that was literally one of the easiest places to probably live and to preach the word and that right. he came up on something hard like going to Uganda where they don't have the you know first or you know first world creature comforts and so then he got mad and wanted to leave and I'm like doesn't that directly go against like one of the core tenets of your belief is that you will preach the good word to those who need it, regardless of where they are. Like, is that a thing? Cause. And as like me growing up, I remember this being like a point of anxiety for me. Ooh. Okay. It was like, where is my mission going to be? Like it, it stressed me out. (laughs) Would believe he drops it at some point that he had gone to Disney World and thought it was paradise. And I think he was looking for that. And so a a lot of where he's coming from is he's been so righteous. He's been the best at everything. He's been so good. All he wanted was God to grant him and gift him what he wanted this once. And he didn't get it. So it starts this moment of like shaken faith in a way of like, I did everything right. Why didn't you give it to me? Because the, you know, it doesn't matter what what faith you believe. It does seem to be a core tenant across a lot of different religions. Being in a relationship with God is not a transactional relationship. Just because you believe in him and just because you do his will does not mean he will always give you what you want. Catholicism uses that as a teaching tool in every single book of the Bible. Every one oh, of yeah. them. Every single one of them. Every single one of them. Adam and Eve, let's go. Let's start with the very first one. Like, God, Adam wanted a woman, and God, Eve. They had to Icarus themselves. Literally. Literally, yes. I, I find it fascinating that it is that it is something psychologically that people are like, this is transactional. If I do A, then I will be given B. And it's and it's like, mm, no, you can ask for it, but it's not guaranteed that you will get. But then he gets that slap of reality across the face when he gets to Uganda and he's the phrase of the day, Hasadiga Ibawai. Hasadiga Ibawai. You get to see these people struggling and them have this f- these thoughts toward God and say, you don't do anything for us, God. F- you. I love that revelation in the show because he's like, what does it mean? It's this, ah, you shouldn't be saying that about God. Well, 
God's done nothing for me, so. You get like these examples of like, no, by the way, these people think that raping a baby is going to cure my AIDS. <laughs> Oh, and they're I've... like, well, that's not good. Yeah, right? Hasadiga Ibawai. <laughs> and it, it cements this point of like, oh, okay, I guess uh... I can jump on board and understand why you think that way. Yep. So, <laughs> Oh, my God. And then it turned into a frog. And then it was... Uh... But yeah, wh what do we think overall of Elder Price? Is he just this pompous asshole? Do we like his story arc? Like, where are we with him? I'm always a fan of a good, like, hero's journey, kind of. And I, I will say that I like Elder Price in the end of this show because he kind of, he gets what's coming to him a little bit because of his arrogance. I don't, I, I always can clock somebody from the beginning of whatever I'm watching. If too many people praise them right off the bat, I'm like, oh, you're about to, you're about to go through the shit, my friend. You will be the one that fucks up pretty poorly <laughs> and that will inevitably have to have like the big, you know, dark night of the soul to use another religious term or turn of phrase. And uh, you'll have to, you know, figure out this journey on your own and come to it as a better person and like come out of it, you know, forever changed. So, I mean, do I like the way that he kind of interacts with his other elders? Like, he's very supportive and very kind, like, on the surface. But then you get him with Elder Cunningham and you start to see that that facade kind of goes away a little bit because he starts to get really annoyed. And he kind of just stops being nice and he's very kind of dismissive. And then there's the big blow up moment between the two of them where he just goes, I want to leave because I don't, I don't like this anymore and I don't like you. And that's where you've got to hate him because he's just so he's so unbelievably mean to someone who I identify with as somebody who just wants friends and wants people to be straightforward with them and wants people to like, I don't know, be around because the loneliness is crippling. Like, how dare you yell at this poor boy? Like, just mm. right. <clears throat> so my thoughts of him changed throughout the show. I mean, in the end, I liked him, but yeah. I don't know. He seemed well, like a bro in the beginning. It really is kind of this story about him learning lessons of life. Not life lessons, but like how life goes yeah. in a way. Yeah. Uh, like we even see that in this sort of mission central with all of the other missionaries. It's a foreign concept to Elder Price that this idea of shut it off. Like a light switch, just go bap. Because <laughs> he's just like, I don't do this. And all the other elders, no, you do. <laughs> the spooky Mormon hell dream. <laughs> oh, girl, that's real. Oh, I don't like it is that. Real. Oh, I hate that. for eating the donuts, and now you walk out on your mission companion? You're a dick. Jesus, I'm sorry! Jesus hates you, this we know. So, for confession Jesus time. Um, I feel I have a spooky Mormon hell dream every night of my sleep life. Like, <gasps> I used to not be able to go to sleep in my teenage years. Like I had horrible insomnia and it's because every time I dream, I dream I am being chased. I dream someone's coming for me and it's evil and it's not good. To this day, when I sleep, 
something is chasing me. <gasps> okay, that just makes me sad. At, at this point, I just, I take it in stride. Like, I, <laughs> I'm just like, I wonder what tonight's going to be. This is a fun adventure. Um... And just go to bed. And it's, it's so, if I remember my dream, the thing I remember about it, something is after me. And it, this spooky Mormon hell dream is real. Like, it is real. You are constantly on edge about, like, am I living life worthy enough of God to get into heaven? Like, you are worried at all points of time. Am I good enough? Is this reaching the level that it needs to be? And at some point, it just becomes part of your personality. So this idea of someone comes at you with something negative and bad, and you just go, nope, shut it off. I'm so good at compartmentalization. It's unreal. <laughs> Honey, I mean, I just I I just have to put this all I'm hearing is daddy issues and Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> Am I good enough for you? And then also, I'm in love with my captors. Continue to chase me in my sleep because yeah, I right. can't get away from it. But welcome to me being self Re realized of it because I mean, stopped going. Yep. Started going to therapy. Yep. And started unveiling all this stuff and being like, well, it's a little late because these are just now inherent traits of who I am. Baby. <laughs> but at some point, I'm like, I can just learn and grow and move on from there. Again, that's not saying it's bad if one happens to be LDS and listening to this I either. Like, no. It's, it's so much of just is my self-worth and am I a good enough individual inside as well as outside? And we learn this in Wicked. What is good? Is good just the facade? Is it is it based on the intent? Yeah. Sometimes the best intentions are, you know, send you straight to hell as you learn with Elder Cunningham. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and let's talk about Cunningham. God bless him. <laughs> Oh, this cute little... Oh, bless this... his heart. It's fun to see his story arc for me. Like, yeah. he uses his natural want to tell lies, but like we had said, for the betterment of this community. Mm -hmm. And in a, he tries to explain these teachings in a way that they might understand. So he's doing some good things, but doing it not to church standard. Very modernized, but of course you're speaking it to... It's modern to you as the speaker because you understand the reference, but you are giving it to a group of people who don't understand the references that you're making. So they're taking what you're saying as literal gospel. And it's not until the, you know, the, the, the leaders of the church see this play that they put on and go, um, the f were you telling them? Cause none of this is true. This, I mean, this could, this is probably reaching, which is fine, and you're welcome to tell me that it's reaching, but it, it feels to me like Elder Cunningham is a little bit on the spectrum. He's a little autistic. He's a little something. I, oh, I fully believe that, yeah. Because he's trying desperately to connect with people, and his way of doing that is very outside of what would be considered the, quote, norm of how you do this. He's just doing it in the only way he knows how, which is to lie about it but in his brain i don't think he registers it as a lie immediately he's just pulling the first reference he can think of and then upon sober reflection when someone goes what did what are you saying he's like i don't know i just make things up sometimes as as someone who is married to an autistic person i can say that there are there are a lot of times where that happens where it's, i'm making this reference it's completely out of left field you don't know what it means but it's kind of like that <laughs> 
I love Ty. Love Ty so much. Oh my little uh, phantom of the pod. I absolutely believe that what you're saying is true. Elder Cunningham can be on some level of scale on the spectrum somewhere, but I also think I don't think he needs to necessarily even be played that way. Which we we even talked about that before. Josh Gad versus Ben Platt. Mm-hmm. Ben Platt played him, I think, completely differently. He was just looking for think of it like pathological lying where all you want is attention where you've never gotten attention before Mm -hmm. and now through these lies you're suddenly king right and that's all you're wanting you're just wanting the friends you're wanting the validation you're wanting attention and you're finally getting it so i i think you can also be played that way too yeah absolutely i mean there's there, I think that's the cool thing about Elder Cunningham is that, you know, depending on who, I mean, like a lot of roles that we've talked about, I think depending on who's in it, like you can find nuances and different facets of this character. Um, I mean, that's the beauty of theater and, and you know, and five people can take a text and every person will pull something different from it. Is going to read it differently too, yeah. have a different interpretation. Totally. Yeah, I totally agree. I can't have even one shred of doubt. I believe. That the Lord God created the universe I believe That he sent his only son to die For my sins And I believe That ancient Jews built boats And sailed to America I am a Mormon And a Mormon just believes Well, how about we talk about our sort of heroine character Our young, innocent Nabu Lungi Oh, saying that wrong. And the thing is, it doesn't help because Elder Cunningham says a different long Neutrogena. time. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we'll show notes that for sure, because I, I want to make sure I, I'm pronouncing oh that right. My but God, I, I miss it every time. And then I just focus on all the funny fake names that are being given by Cunningham. So, yeah, I think that she is, you know, she definitely feels like the, um, She's the what I feel like she's the probably the more progressive of the people in this tribe that she finds herself in this idea of wanting to be free or be out or, you know, to go experience life and go see the things that are just beyond this scope of what you've been told exists. I mean, you know, of course, with the, you know, knowing the people who wrote this and understanding that a lot of the things are tongue in cheek, like it, you know, they portray her in a way that is probably a little bit of a caricature of what, you know, people in Uganda are actually like. So taking that into consideration when talking about this, I still really appreciate her as a character. She she kind of stands, you know, in opposition of them pretty much, you know, right when they first get there. And, and she's like, well, you know, we're not ready to, you know, everyone just comes here and tells us a story and then they leave and no one does anything. And, you know, then she turns this new leaf with Elder Cunningham and goes, okay, I'm ready to be baptized, which they treated like a, like having sex for the first time, which I find oh, yeah. adorable, super that cute. Unta- double entendre there was so Do- funny. Oh, totally. And I just, I don't know, like I really appreciate um, her, you know, like she jumps into this so readily and then you know she of course is part of you know the the play that they put on about you know what they've learned from you know elder (laughs) cunningham and they're all you know they want to be baptized they're going to be baptized but i mean she feels like kind of the classic female ingenue in this what could be considered a love story a love you know subplot right because yeah she you know is the the girl that cunningham falls kind of in love with i mean he just 
I mean, it's, I'm just gonna say it. He falls in love with her because, you know, he's probably never experienced something like that before. And I don't know. I just, I, that's kind of my vibe as I get that she's, she just kind of feels like your standard, like, you know, classic female heroine, I guess. I, I don't think she's an afterthought because I think one needed someone to anchor themselves to within this, this tribe of, you know, Ugandans yeah. in this city, small little hut city. But the, the issue for me is, I almost I either want more of her or I want even more of her integrated into other things. Yeah, I agree. You know, it, it almost feels like two separate shows in a way where we get the Mormon missionary side and then we get like the Ugandan side and mm -hmm. they don't really ever cross over except in those moments of like, oh, yeah, we're going to teach you a little bit of something or, yeah, you're going to put on the play. But then you only get Nabu when she's with Cunningham, mm -hmm. and and that's it. That's it, you know. And then she gets her beautiful song, Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City, which is it's a that's a bop of a song. It's really like it's it's the it's the I want song. That's I mean that's her I want song. It's I've heard of this place. It's paradise. Like and when you've known nothing else, like anything else seems like it's paradise. And yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a pretty ballad. It's a pretty lady ballad. Let's 180 this a little bit. Let's talk about sort of like the mishmash, jokey, campy irreverence of this show. Sure. Too much? Not enough? I mean, it's Wh where where do we land? <laughs> I mean, you know, I think that you know, again, knowing who these people are, and if you're familiar with their any of their work. I mean, look at Cannibal the Musical. Cannibal the Musical is nothing but a campastic camp fest. So, you know, out of, of something that is completely ridiculous and probably improbable. But, um, I mean, uh, personally, again, because I like this style of humor, I thought it was great. Like, I really did. I thought that the camp was, the camp level was good. The jokes, again, the timing of certain things was executed very well. Um, you know, I mean, at a certain point, the jokes do kind of get repetitive and it does seem to be like, yeah, we're playing the same game because we know what's going to get a laugh. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I liked it, but then again, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of camp like that. If I know that that's what it is, like if I thought it was going to be something different and you give me camp, like I've mentioned on other episodes, then I'm not into it. But if I know it going in, then it's like, yeah, okay, yeah. well, I understand. And so, yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, this show really is great at its balance of making sure pu it's pushing that line. It's not even oh, teetering that line. No. It's, all, it's almost like pushing it so it bends a little bit more to its whim. <laughs> You know, we just you're not keep crossing it, but mm -mm. you're pushing it. Yeah. Oh, we are we are most definitely pushing it and real good. Again, even as understanding what it's like growing up Mormon, I just laugh. Oh, there's that cliche and trope, but that was really funny. F funny. So, yeah. So I'm like, oh, okay, great. I, I totally get it. Uh, sure. And the whole idea of of what LDS people believe is crazy. To an outside perspective, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. Like they get to push these boundaries and make these sweeping, vast judgments because it's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. if, if you if you just sit down and you look at it with with a critical eye, it's ridiculous <laughs> to, to the to the tenth power. And so it's just perfect fodder for people who love to take satire 
and push boundaries with it. Here's what I'll say, just to play devil's advocate. Being a Mormon and taking jokes all my life, it still just sort of feels like, ooh, did you need to make an entire thing stating this about this? Because again, I stated at the beginning, an LDS person means you no harm and yeah. they are not going to they do anything. They never mean you any harm. So like, what, what's, why are you so obsessed with me? <laughs> you why know? are you so like, obsessed just, with me? If it's not bothering you, let it go. Yep. And just move on. Yep. But instead, they make a spectacle musical making fun of an entire religion. Well, of course. Of course they do. In did. a way. So, yeah. I, I'm, I'm just kind of like, eh. But at the same time, it's still in my rotation of playlists. So. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm going to baptize her. Baptize me. Bathe her in God's glory. And I will baptize her. I'm ready. With everything I got. And I'll make her more as I wash her free of sin and it'll be so good so I'm gonna baptize me again excuse me I, I need another minute. I didn't even bring this up seminary for people uh, for young teens in the LDS church I had to go to school before school during high school Every what? morning, I woke up and went to church to have an hour of, like, Bible study. And then I would go to school. It no. was an extra period. No, thank you. No, thank you. We don't want any yeah. things. So, Click. it's just funny when people are like, well, you didn't even read the Bible. I'm like, actually, I've read the Bible front to back, studied it in depth, and had to take, like, quizzes. So... Uh, what did you do? What have you done with your life? I mean, <laughs> <Come at> me. <laughs> you know, the closest thing that I have to that was a, a club that you could join in school that literally was nothing but trivia about the Bible. And you went and competed yeah. against other schools in a Jeopardy style like game where you would answer questions about the Bible. The only do you want to know the only thing that I remember from that, which is the stupidest fact I'm going to tell you. Okay. Um, the word goodbye is actually a contraction. Because the word goodbye is actually God be with ye, but contraction is goodbye. Yeah, you're welcome. I am shooketh. <laughs> and the Lord raineth down the shookethness upon Stephen. Yes. Fire brimstone. <laughs> yeah. I guess we've done our studying. We have. B books open. So I guess it's time for a table read. It's my favorite part. So questions for table read. Uh, women. How are women represented in this show? <laughs> the the one the one woman that's really in it that isn't like somebody's mom. Yeah. Um, I mean <laughs> this is really difficult because this entire show is about men. Like it is a male-dominated show. At least from from my viewing yeah. oh, of this, oh, it no, is, it is. it's a male-dominated show. So I think that, you know, as far as women being represented, 
I might almost say no, only because, again, knowing who wrote this and knowing how they view women in their other, like, media that they do, some, a lot of the times they're, they're dogging on women. Like, they just do. Like, they make them waifs. They make them stupid. They make them, you know, hysterical, whatever. And, and the fact that we only have one real female in this entire show for all of these other characters, like, I don't think it's a good, I mean, do I think it's a good role for somebody Maybe to say that they were in the Book of Mormon, but like there aren't really a lot of other options. So no, because the whole point is you're a young man and you're on a mission. So half the cast is automatically going to be young men. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. On their mission. And on top of it, to push the point farther, it's like young white boys not knowing nothing. Yeah, buddy. (laughs) Let's take this in because I think women's pretty self-explanatory let's take that into race then i think there's room for um the elders in this show to be a little bit more diverse because that's what actually is in churches and these young men aren't all young white bitches they're (laughs) (laughs) they're there is a plethora of colors i mean it's a less percentage but yes <laughs> there are yeah. so i think some of the elders in this show can absolutely be people of color and i don't think it changes the meaning necessarily because you're still that separation of you're an elder and you're an lds member so that automatically puts you in some sort of category and we think a certain way about you no matter what yeah i uh so as a sub question then if that's the case so let's say that we you know if you cast so, so well, let me ask you this question. Would you cast the roles of Elder Price and Elder Cunningham as like your two main kind of, you know, missionaries? Would you cast mm-hmm. them as people of color? First question. I think this is a show that it doesn't really matter. Okay. However, there is something to be said about this main character being a young, white, privileged boy mm-hmm. where there is something there. But I don't I can't remember any reference that specifically says, oh, you young white boy. But like there there probably is amongst the tribe to Elder Price. Sure. Um, just inside comments and things or even the warlord talking to him. Sure. But I I would say I wouldn't mind either of those characters being played by people of color. So then the second part of that question, if let's say you cast either one of these, you know, these uh, parts as a person of color, do you think then that this is going to sound bad, but the racism that is written into the show between white people and people of color, do you think then that would be different if you had people of color in these title like roles that do the interaction with the Ugandan people because they are i mean do you think that that would have a different kind of commentary than it does now oh i think it has a it would have a completely different commentary let's say that elder price was a black man mm-hmm. where like maybe elder price is learning a little bit about his culture and heritage mm-hmm. and he grew up in this sort of white dominated place and structure and all of a sudden you're thrust it would have a completely different connotation it would have different messages it, sure. it would have a different sort of trajectory for Elder Price's sort of story arc in a way and you know whether the text allows for that I don't know but I would be interested to see maybe even something like that that could be super interesting sure well thank you but, for answering you know, this <laughs> but yeah whether I mean at the end of the day like sort of we say these some of these villains just need to be shitty f- white guys they sure do I, at the, 
at, at, at its core, Elder Price is, is, is a white boy, like yes. going through it thinking he's holier than thou and better than everyone. Yes. And I think there is something to be said about that in in being a vehicle of the story and then him learning that so i think it would also be missing something to take that away too but i think you'd get different lessons depending upon where you put people sure i think it is interesting to point out that the joke that they have in this show is that in 1978 god changed his mind about black people <laughs> In I believe <laughs> when he's facing the warlord to do his incredible yeah, thing. Yeah, oh my god. I mean, that's real. Like, that's absolutely real. And all of the sudden, like, this whole new category of people got... <laughs> it was like... Oh my god. Uh, I, I don't... I, that's the thing that just makes it funny for me where I, like, uh, as someone in the church who looks at that and laughs a little bit, uh -huh. I went... Yep, that's laughable. That should have. That's that's a hot. That's a highbrow joke, sir. Hey, <laughs> way to be in the highbrow jokes. I am a Mormon, and a, and Mormon, a Mormon just, just believes. Hi, my name is Joseph Smith, and I'm going to fuck this baby. What? How we don't know Joseph? How we don't want the baby? How we Joseph Smith? How we don't want the baby? Suddenly the clouds parted and Joseph Smith was visited by God! How we Joseph Smith? Do not fuck a baby! How I'll get rid of your AIDS if you fuck this frog! How uh, representation. Well, I mean, we have an entire song about mm. having gay thoughts, so. You know. Right. Turn it up. Well, it's less about gay thoughts. It's just more about everything evil and bad and just shut it off. Turn it away. Fair enough. But Elder Price does say you can have gay thoughts. You just can't act on them. Yeah. Which <laughs> is actual. You can have gay thoughts. You just can't act upon them. I remember that hurts that my brain. coming out. I remember that coming out at my most hurtful age of like 17. Honey. And I remember that cementing me being like, no. I can't do oh, this. Babe. Like again, looking back through like therapy and things, like I knew I was gay at a very much younger age than what I thought. Like right. I will always say, like you know when you know. I didn't know until I was like l l young twenties. Oh yeah. But it was because I was so repressed and so like of a mindset of like what I had to do. But I shut it off. I just stuffed it down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I found that box and crushed it. <laughs> Find the gay box and crush it. <laughs> oh, my God. So, but I mean, so I would have to say it's represented. I, I, what's funny is I think any young gay LDS boy watching that, it's probably an enlightenment moment. Oh, yeah. Too. So I, I will say I think it's there, but again, it's not a plot driver. It's not necessary. I don't think it's written should be written into a plot point of one of our main elders. I it it's not. Yeah, I mean it, it, it goes against the satire and some of the jokes in an entire section of a song. So I mean, well, and I mean again, speaking on like the the kind of i mean i guess you could say historical accuracy of what we're talking about of the the LDS church like yeah. they i mean correct me if i'm wrong but like the, i'm assuming the church does not support any openly 
homosexual person or queer person. Oh, no. In fact, you can't even gain like higher higher levels of things just like within the church if you are a young ch child or young adult and your parents are gay. Like yes. there there are it, it's it, it's not it's not a good environment for any part of the LGBT community. So that's sure. why I just I don't I don't touch it anymore. I don't do anything. And it's it's one of the gross things about it where yeah. I'm just like I remember like always thinking some of the best, most open, honest, nice people are not part of this church. Like some of the best people I know are not involved at all yeah. in the LDS church. It was impossible for me to think that they are not going to make it to any part of heaven or or they're they're not going to be able to go when I know that they're a better person than I am. Mm -hmm. And it was just impossible for me to think like that. So I said I I knew at 14 I was done, but I Good played nice, but yeah. I played nice and I'm like I'll go to church, I'll do my thing, yeah. I'll do my duty to God and uh the day I left for college was the last Sunday I went to church and never looked back. Good for you. But I mean, yeah, so representation to be in this show is cool for me to see yeah. and have that represented in a way so it, it speaks well. Uh, does this story hold up without music? This one's hard. I mean, honestly, I would probably say yes, because, again, I know who wrote it. So, like, if it was a different because I, yeah. again, most South Park episodes don't. I mean, don't have they don't have a musical I, element. So I think it would be interesting as a play, just I would as be, a straight play. Yeah, I'd be sad if the if the songs were gone, because there are quite a few songs that are a bop. But um, the, the songs are the songs have that place in my heart. So that's hard for me to say, too. Yeah. Like, it's it's. It's not nice. It feels dirty. It feels like sin coming out of my mouth. It feels a little <laughs> dirty. Could it change era, time, decade? I don't think this is set in any mm -mm. specific moment. No, I mean, this, I you know, the, the LDS church, as, you know, per our history lesson, has been around for quite some time and continues to be around today. So, like, I... I would high, I could see this in in really any era and still have because it doesn't appear as though the tenets of the LDS church have changed very much. You know, you could I mean, you could absolutely set this in the 80s and the 50s. You could set it in the future like I mean, I think it's malleable enough in that way. Amateur or professional, scale 1 to 10, where does this show land? You know, I am going to give this show like a 3. Like this is <gasps> whoa yeah I'm opposite spectrum love it and i love it and i want it but so i'm saying three because i mean a lot of the music is is very you know major chords like it's a lot of like easy kind of things to do there aren't i mean there are harmonies but they're not really they're not like rent where it's like six part harmonies that you gotta nail otherwise like shit goes squiffy um i mean there is a lot of dancing there is a lot of choreo involved so maybe that pushes it to a four for me but like i don't know i think it would it would be difficult because it is a male dominated show finding the men to do the show makes it more difficult yeah uh, this is a solid eight for me oh dang okay it, it the 
every num- major number is a big production number. Sure. The spooky Mormon hell dream alone is gonna is gonna be with its Satan own on his throne. Yeah. Freaking show. Yeah. Finding all of the men to do this, the tap number for the missionaries. True. Like I think a lot of the harmonies are there. Plus, you have, especially if this were being put in on in a community theater, uh, and like finding that amount of people of color to want to just come in and do this is really hard for some places to do. Sure. So I don't think this show is accessible. I'm giving this a solid eight. Like, I like I, it. I, I don't think this show is easy in any any way. The show on the surface, super simple. The music's not too hard to memorize. The lines are fun, camp, blah, blah, blah. But everything to put on this production is hard. The actual execution of, like, the... I, I mean, there is there there are aspe- aspects of, like, the... I guess performance part of it, but a lot of the things that you mentioned are the technical side of it, and so like I can yeah. I can see where that would be difficult. I can I can see where you said, but then again, that's the difference between you know like I mean obviously we're both actors, but like looking at it from a dance perspective, from a production yeah, yeah, yeah. perspective, versus you know just an actor perspective. Like, but again, I'm a female, so like I would never be in this show anyway. So like that's probably why I see this because not only am I a female, I'm a white girl. I'm a basic white bitch. There is no way that I would be Andrew. I would be Elder Cunningham's mother. That is who I would be. The end. (laughs) That's it. 50 years from now, will this show still be being staged? Yes. I I think so. I'm 50-50 on this, actually. I don't know if this sort of humor Mm -hmm. will continue to be a forward-thinking thing. I'm unsure. But maybe. I I hope I'm wrong. Because I think satire is absolutely necessary yeah in this world totally. and sometimes pushing that pc boundary is worth it and i think this show is worth it in that way i feel like that's that's why i think that this show will continue even you know long after you know our generation is gone because like the thing that we've talked about is not only satire but then theater as like an art form is designed to be a mirror to those in the audience and go hi do you see what you do like let me show you how ridiculous it is the way that you you know treat people or the way that you do x y or z thing so i think that this dark kind of satire will always be around because that's how some people you know that's how some people have humor. And, and so when when Trey and Matt are no longer relevant, somebody will step in those shoes and still continue on that raunchy legacy, I suppose. And, yeah. you know, especially if the, you know, the LDS church continues to be, you know, one of the, you know, major religions of the world, then, you know, this will still have, you know, purpose. And even if for some reason the LDS church, you know, evaporates and doesn't become a thing, it's still a part of like history or historical yeah. text that like, I think people would find humorous to watch. I think as long as people will, are making fun of LDS people, this show will be relevant <laughs> to some degree. <laughs> Which is a and, terrible thing to say, but I mean, it is, it is kind I of mean, But I will also say, I think this show is a gateway musical for a lot of people. No, oh, yeah. Normal people who would not go totally. see musicals totally. probably come and see this show. Yeah. And favorite question, would I show this to aliens? Absolutely, because it came from them. The aliens gave it to us <gasps> in the beginning. They're like, this is our history. Oh my gosh, they came down on the Starship Enterprise with the ring, ring of power. <laughs> from Mordor, yes, yes they did. Yes, A Full circle sure moment, did. they sure did. They're like, this is our history. 
Oh my god! It's like watching a documentary. They were watching the History Channel. It was a great. It was a great full circle moment. Oh my god! Yep, I totally. I I mean, you know how many of us spooky Mormon hell dream tonight? Oh, I'm gonna say. I don't like that. I helped bring on a spooky Mormon hell dream. I enjoyed this show. I really did. Like it is, you know, again, I've mentioned it several times throughout the episode. I love, you know, the people who created it. I love their their other shows that they have. I mean, I play the video games, you know, Fractured But Whole, The Stick of Truth. Like, you know, I play those games because it's just, I don't know, this this is always a, they're, they're a feel-good staple in my media closet. Um, but I really, even past the camp-tastic nature of this, past the racism, past the, you know, all of the, like, you know, kind of curtains, I suppose, you can get to a really good nugget of, you know, because I'm always digging for humanitarian nuggets. Uh, You can find a nugget of something where it's like you always have something to learn. You can, you know, you always have an opportunity to be humble. You may not do the next incredible thing, but maybe someone else will. And so you have to be okay knowing that it might not be you and supporting those people who will end up doing those things. And I mean, at the end of the day, it was, it's a really great, it's a great, I think it's a great show with a lot of great music and I'm, I'm not sad that I watched it. I thought it was great. This show will always be weird to me, just understanding what I understand and having grown up how I grew up. Totally. Uh, But I, I love this show i love this satire and i love being able to look at it with everything i know and sure. uh it just makes it all that more sweet in a way hmm. uh just to have that understanding that experience even on a deeper level but i also appreciate that even though through all of the jokes and the things there's still a, a good heart to this mm-hmm. show and it doesn't necessarily make fun of mormons and LDS people to the degree where they are awful people. Mm -hmm. It it never slights them in a way that they are degraded Mm -hmm. as humans. It just makes fun of maybe what is believed. So I will always uh, appreciate how this show is handled and I will be listening to this show in my rotation forever and forever of course absolutely because sometimes you just gotta you know believe oh there are some really good songs in this show i absolutely love you know i believe because it's a great it's a great you know like ballad and we're learning things about elder price and it's a great time (laughs) 
we'll probably have more time in show notes to really dive into maybe some sure. of the things we didn't get to talk about too but so yeah tune in for show notes uh if you don't like any of the coverage that we had today if you really want to send me uh what what other show did i say send me your bibles but send me some book of mormons uh even though i have my scriptures sitting right here next to me email me at podcast from the top at gmail.com hit me with some corrections if i missed something if you happen to be lds and i missed something i want to be corrected so let me know and if, let's say, for some reason, Stephen is just nose deep in this Book of Mormon and can't respond to you from at our email, make sure you follow us on Instagram uh, from the top underscore podcast so you can get all of the, you know, juicy details, the photos we might post. Um, but now, my, my little elder, please give me the clue for the show we're doing next time and let's see if I'm going to get it. I'm not going Ooh. to, but we could try. <laughs> One day. One. One clue one more. more. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of gave a pre-clue in our bloopers episode. So if you want to hear that, go listen to that. Re-listen. But I will give you a fresh clue. So you you have multiple chances to get this one now, Mary. Oh, God. Okay. Oh, no. Oh, God. All right. So the next show could be considered fashion forward even though it's set in the late 80s and early 90s i'm thinking of a show and it's not right because it's not about death do i tell you now do i mm, should i tell you now and then you can tell me in show notes if i'm right i don't know maybe i won't sure. do, no okay fine is it the devil wears prada no i wish that was a musical yeah because it's not in the right it's not in the right time it's not in the right th- but it was the all I heard, saw was Miranda Priestly, just like fashion forward, like the, the first the first thing. How the Devil Wears Prada is not a stage musical, I don't understand. Somebody I, it baffles my mind. I, yeah. I, 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 fashion forward, set in the eighties. Oh uh, well, this has been excellent, Stephen. I again, I adore our conversations, and this was like, this was great for me because like I normally I learn a lot about a show, but I got to learn a lot about your past, and I got to learn some things that I didn't know about you before. And I am, I mean, I'm wildly like honored that you shared all that stuff with me, and then with you know our audience, like that's really personal and very cool, and I think that's amazing. So thank you for sharing your life with us tonight and for you know sharing every every week with me because this is again one of the highlights of my week but whilst i ruminate on this clue um we're gonna let you guys go so until next time this has been from From the the top a wandering unicorn production Elder Stephen, if you prayed for the perfect mission location, where is the elder sending you? Where does Cheyenne Jackson live?